What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Well, welcome to episode 134 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast. I'm so glad you've joined me. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and I am beyond excited that you're on this journey with us because I know that you and I know that many others are on this journey to be the leaders that they were created to be in the spaces and the places that God has put them. We just need some tools for the toolbox. And this podcast hopefully gives you just those. And it doesn't matter what the background of the leader is that we meet with. We find information. We find leadership gold that we can apply to our lives Morning Meditator on iTunes in a rating and review said this podcast is like a tall glass of water. Mike's joy for life and the Lord is infectious as he chats about the call of leadership. His conversations with his guests are inspirational, practical, and transformational. For Christian leaders, this is a do not miss. His guests are amazing. Jesus is front and center. And Mike is curious and gracious. Thank you, Morning Meditator. And for any of you that want to leave a podcast rating or review, go to your favorite uh, site and leave those. And it does help others find their way to us. Another great thing to do is to share this on your social platform. We want this in as many hands as we can get it in to raise the spiritual temperature of the world that we live in by changing the lives of leaders. Well, today you get to meet a great leader. His name is is Dave Ferguson. Dave is a incredible friend to many. He is a visionary. He is an author. He's a pastor. But what you're going to love about Dave is Dave is genuinely real. He's the lead pastor at Community Christian Church in Chicago. It's a missional multi-site community considered one of the most influential in America. Dave is also the visionary, uh, the church planning movement, new thing, and the president of the Exponential Conference. But I tell you what I love about Dave. Dave has written a new book that is so practical for where we live, and it's called Bless, the five everyday ways to love your neighbor and change the world. You know, you think about Jesus, and Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Second, to love your neighbor as yourself. Dave helps us figure out how to love our neighbors as ourselves. So I don't know where you're listening from today, but I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Dave Ferguson. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being my guest on Lynch with the Leader today. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I've been a fan. I've been a fan for a long time. I heard you years ago at a conference and I love that you have a passion for leadership and growth. I mean, I can just tell that's a DNA thing. When did that first start in you? And when did you begin to see yourself as a leader? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I I think I think there were, there were some things early on that kind of uh, 
triggered. I, I remember running for student council president in That's great. sixth grade. And, um, and, and, and in order to, you know, I think in order, and the only people I got to vote were fourth, fifth and sixth graders at Hickory elementary school. And I remember I, re, I, I thought, okay, you know what? I could, I'll, I could be the campaign manager at sixth grade. Cause I know all the sixth graders <laughs> and I recruited my brother uh, to be the campaign manager for the fourth graders. And then I recruited a uh, girl, Angie Knowles to be my campaign manager for the fifth grade. And, and we, we ended up winning. And I, I think there was something in there that kind of like, you know, Hey, I think I could coalesce people for a common cause. I mean, I probably didn't have the words then, but there was something yeah, yeah. that really got me energized. That is fantastic. And I love that I was on your website and it was really interesting. Your header bio, it said friend, author, leader, leader, visionary. And I want to ask you a question on that because most people would put visionary leader, author, friend. Why was it so important? And I think it was probably strategic. Why did you put friend first in that list? Any reason for that? When you think about it? Uh, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a few reasons. One, one is, um, and I think the guy who articulated it best for me, I was, I think I was already kind of doing it, but the guy who articulated it best for me was Bob Goff. Cause Bob said, he said, um, there's lots of visions out there, but only some of them are accessible. Mm. And that basically what he was saying is that people are going to gravitate towards those things that are accessible. And he was kind of explaining, you know, if you know anything about him, he puts his phone number in the back of his book and you can, and we have, you can call him and talk yeah. to him, which is crazy. It seems like it. And um, I think, I think as a leader, like I'm, I'm a decent communicator. I'm a, you know, pretty good visionary, but I do think, I think making yourself accessible and genuinely being interested in other people, uh, being a friend, um, helping them get through what they're going through and taking, you know, giving them your cell, giving them your email, um, being genuinely concerned and helping them take the next step. I think people gravitate towards, I mean, in some ways, I mean, it, wrote a book a few years ago called hero maker. And I think yep. in some ways that's what, the, that's what that is. And actually even, even a new thing, our new, our new thing network, uh, we're, our church planning network, we have four values that I'll start with our, and the first one's relationship. And when we talk about it, we say we're friends on mission. Mm. It all comes down to that. We're friends on mission. I, I got your back. You got my back. We're running hard straight ahead together. We don't have to worry if you're going to get, you know, stab me in the back Cause no, we're, we're friends on mission. And so, yeah, no, that, that was, that was on purpose. And, um, I hope I hope to be that kind of a person. So when so I guess when people see me on the stage, they go like they don't just think like, oh, there's a whatever he's accomplished. We go, oh, Doug, I know Dave. Yep. What happens to a leader if they don't do that? Because I think you know, there's that um, the pride within all of us. We want to separate ourselves and we want to elevate ourselves and we want to be seen as something. You've been in ministry long enough and you've been around leadership long enough. What happens to a leader? If they lose that, I'm in it for people, and it's about the relationships. What happens to them? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure my strategy and tactic about this is one that's for everybody. Mm. You know, I'm not sure it works for everybody to go, yeah, here's my email, here's my cell, you know, hey, give me a call, whatever. I'm not sure that does work for all people. Um, 
but I do think if you become inaccessible mm. and if you don't, and if, and if there aren't some people that you're, you're doing life on this, um, I heard someone say the other day that the, uh, uh, the adopt, the, the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm. And if you don't have connection, and I think a synonym probably for addiction could be sin. And I think if you don't have connection with other people, if there aren't people in your life that you are, and, and I mean, beyond just beyond, you know, your, your spouse and your kids, if you don't have a, a, a connection with other people, you're, you're in a very, very dangerous place. I mean, I, I mean, I know left to my own device, if I'm all on my own, yeah, I, I, I can gravitate to a bad place. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I even noticed on your website too, I can tell your family plays a huge role. So as, as your church has grown and your leadership has grown through the years, how have you been able to do that and remember at the end of the day, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a father, I'm, I'm here to pour into my kids. How have you been able to keep that in perspective while things have grown wildly for you? How have you been able to keep that in the forefront, people and the relationships at home? Well, let me, first of all, uh, Mike, let me, let me say too, I mean, I was reading through your questions we were going to talk about, and the fact that you kind of spotted it, that that actually stood out, that, that actually made me feel of everything we're going to talk about today, that that makes me feel the best. Mm. Because, I mean, I don't know how old you are, Mike, but I mean, I think the further you are, you get ministry, and even, I don't know, maybe it's more successful, or maybe it's either way, successful or not successful. I guess, yeah, ups and downs. I mean, you're at the end of it, your circle gets pretty small. Mm. And that circle is going to end up, it was going to be, in the first ring of it's going to be your spouse and your kids. and um, I mean, a few things come to mind. Um, we got some advice. Sue and I got some advice early on. We, we went to a conference. It was kind of a pastor's personal life's conference. And, um, and a woman said this, who we had a lot of respect for, and we took it hard. She said, in ministry, you're going to disappoint a lot of people. Don't let it be your kids. Mm. And... Um, I think at that point they were probably as, you know, her and her husband were probably as successful as anybody we knew. And, and so we kind of, we took that on in, a, in authority, on authority. And I, I coach church planners too. Hey, when you're starting out, you get to set the culture. And in setting the culture, you also get to set the rhythms of how this thing's going to work. So one of the things that Sue and I did, and we were able to, we've been able to maintain it the whole time was, I mean, I was home almost every evening. Now I, I would, I would cheat in the morning. Like if, you know, if you want to have breakfast at 5am or, or sometimes, you know, if I want, I do two breakfasts and a coffee, you know, before people got to work yep. fine. But, but I would be home in the evening and we all, we all, you know, had, we we're in this and you have to figure it out for yourself. But for us, this was really important. We'd, we'd all have dinner together. Um, when my daughter started in kindergarten, I mean, it was first grade. Um, one of the things that I started doing is I started, uh, taking her out for breakfast in the morning and, um, early on it was, uh, we, we'd go to Dunkin' Donuts. And then I remember later on, like in elementary school, she liked caribou coffee because they had a fireplace and she liked to sit on what she called the comfy couch. And then later on, we ended up going to Starbucks in high school because she was working as a barista and she had numbers. So we got a discount, yep. <laughs> but I mean. 
all the way through, I mean, almost once a week, we were doing this, you know, where we'd have a date. And with the boys, um, we had kind of sports in common. And so I, I coached the boys' teams um, all the way up until they started playing in the, you know, in the middle school and high school teams. And even then, the very first thing that would go on my calendar, um, and everything else would get squeezed around it, would be, would be, their, would be their, their games, whatever sports they were playing. And it was, and I'll, I'll tell you what, Mike, I, I, you may be able to resonate with this. That, was, that wasn't like something that I like had to do or some kind of burden. I mean, coaching them, that was some of the most, that's some of the most fun I've had my entire life. Yep. And um, getting to be a part and they, and they, both the boys did real, real, did real well in athletics. So that it was fun to, you know, that even makes it more fun to cheer for them and, uh, and then see the whole family rally around them. Um, my, my, uh, my youngest son was uh, both the boys ran competitively in college and my youngest son, Caleb was a, uh, was a D three. He's two couple times. He was an all American but the first time he was an All-American in the steeplechase, you know, like the whole family were in, were in the stands there. I mean, so his older sister, his older brother, I mean, they, of course, made the trip to be there, uh, even extended family. And I think not just for Caleb, but I think even our whole, our whole family would say that was one of our, one of our favorite moments. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about this, but yeah, um, and the thing, here's the thing, I'll, 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 I'll turn a little bit on ministry too. What I discovered along the way was like those breakfasts or, you know, going out for Dunkin' Donuts with my daughter and I'd put it on Facebook and stuff. I would start, I'd, I'd see other guys around town from our church, then starting to do that with their, their daughter or, or, and so all, the, and I think that's the thing you have to remember too. So it's really is, it was a great thing for me, has been a great thing for me and my family. But the other thing you have to remember is leaders, you fundamentally reproduce who you are. Mm. And if you want the people in your church to have a great marriage, you need to like be working towards having a great marriage. If you want your dads and your moms to be great parents, then you're not going to be perfect, but but you want to start doing the kind of things where you go like, okay, I don't have too many regrets. I gave it my best shot because they're going to repeat all that. So I think it's not just something for me and like, you know, kind of, you know, church, what you figure it out on your own. No, I mean, as a leader, they're going to reproduce that. And uh, so it's, it's important for you, but it's also important for your church. That's fantastic. And, you know, and I was looking at your bio, you know, my kids are 27 and 24 now. Okay, and, age. Yep. And so it's funny now that we talk about the things they remember from childhood, a lot of it are things I don't even remember. It was the conversation after a game. It was the conversation on the way to the big parenting moments that I thought I'd get an A plus, you know, uh, scholar, scholar of the year award for. They don't even remember those things. They don't remember the speech. They don't remember. They just remember the ride. They remember that time. And it's interesting because in your new book, you talk about being a blessing and you talk about blessing your community. I don't know if you could properly do it in community if your family was it blessed first? And it's such an outgrowth of who you are. What, what prompted you to write this? Cause you've written so many great books, but I thought this one, this five everyday ways to love your neighbor and change your world. What led you at this season of life to come out with this book? I, I think, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a, like when I first became a Christ follower, I was, I was a young adult and I mean, I was so fired up 
about the difference that uh, God's love, and particularly, I mean, I think I had this big aha about grace. It was kind of this, wow, so God loves me unconditionally, you know, just as I am, not as I should be. I mean, it was it was this huge epiphany, and I was so fired up about that and following Jesus that I, you know, I mean, I wanted everybody to know, and being kind of an extrovert and also one of my top spiritual gifts is evangelist. I mean, I pretty much just verbally assaulted people, and I, I shouldn't say pretty much, I mean, I did. I mean, because I, I, back in the day, I mean, I do street evangelism, knocking on doors, I mean, you know, I was answering questions people weren't asking. And then when I even, I don't know if you remember Evangelism Explosion, you remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain if you die tonight, you'd go to heaven? And so I was, I'd ask people those questions. I'm, a, I'm asking questions. They're not even asking, wanting to answer. And um, what I really found in, even in all my enthusiasm is I really turned off a lot of people and I, you know, and it was not effective. And so I kind of did a, once we planted the church, I really kind of did almost a, a complete opposite. I said, okay, that doesn't work. So I'm just going to live my life for Jesus. And then people will be able to tell. And what happened in my neighborhood, okay, now our, while our church grew and we saw people come through those front doors and find their way back to God and say yes to Jesus. But in my own personal life, in my neighborhood and stuff, um, I think people thought I was a good guy. But I didn't see people come to Christ and find and follow Christ and really know God's love like I wanted. And this, I think this book really came out of my own kind of desperation and also wanting something for my people in my church. So like, okay, how is it that you really can't effectively share God's love? Mm. Um, there was a, a, a doctoral thesis, and I write about this in the book, that I ran across. Um, actually, it wasn't a whole doctoral thesis. It was actually buried in a doctoral thesis. And it was this study called Blessers versus Converters. Mm. And they they followed two teams of missionaries to Thailand. And these two teams of missionaries they followed to Thailand, one group they called uh, the Blessers, and the other group they called the Converters. And the Blessers went with the sole intent. They said, this is our sole intention. We're just going to bless whoever God brings our way. For the next couple of years, just we're going to bless whoever God brings our way. The Converters went with the intention of, you know, this is the way they said it back then, we're winning souls, trying to, we're trying to convert people. Followed them for two years. After two years, there were a couple of things they observed, according to the study. One was that the blessers actually increased the social capital in that community. They made it a better place to live. But the converters, there was no, no real difference as far as social capital or a difference they made in the community. But then when it came to actual conversions, the converters saw two people over the course of those two years come to Christ, and the blessers saw a hundred. It was like wow. 50 to one. And so I kind of stepped back from that. I'm going like, well, you know what? I mean, in some ways, go back to Genesis 12. I mean, that was God's original strategy for how he was going to reach the world was, hey, I'm going to bless you, and then you be a blessing. And fast forward. We uh, really, I kind of, with that, I kind of started looking at the, how Jesus lived his life. And we began to notice, like, there were certain practices that Jesus did over and over and over again to really engage with people. Not, and again, these are more with, you know, with the Zacchaeuses and the people that were far from God. Not, he was pretty harsh on the, on the yeah. religious folks. He kind of had a different tactic with them. But those people that were far from God, he had certain practices. And we were able to then take those practices 
and kind of identify some of the top ones. And we put them into a really simple, easy to remember acronym called BLESS. And our church has been using those five practices, B-L-E-S-S, um, for the last seven, eight years. And I've been doing it. I mean, this morning, you know, in my journal, one of the things I do is I write the word bless and I pray for, there's like eight neighbors that I specifically pray for. And um, it's it's really, been, it's been a great thing for us. And and lots of places, lots of churches, not only in North America, but now other places around the world are starting to use it. You know, it's so interesting because uh, I remember this was years ago when we were starting North Star. Yeah. We, there was a stat and it was 10% of the people had the gift of evangelism. So most, most out, of, out of all the people, there's 10% that go, man, I would love to do it. There's 70 to 80 percent that have the gift of helps and hospitality, and they right. don't they don't know how to serve. They don't they don't know, well, how can I do evangelism? I don't feel comfortable doing that. And what I love is what you've done is blended those worlds. Let me ask you this question. What what do you, and this is a total your perspective, sure. what do you think would surprise people the most about Jesus if they got a front row seat to how he did ministry? when he did ministry during those three years, what do you think would surprise most people about who Jesus was and how he dealt with and loved people? I think particularly for North American Christians, I think they'd be surprised how much he listened Mm. versus talk. That's good. And I think he'd also be surprised how much dignity he gave people who were so dramatically different than him. Um, And each of those, I think, play into those five practices. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where do you think we got it messed up? Where do you think the American church, and we've got so many people, we have pastors that listen, we have a lot of business leaders that attend churches and a lot of athletic leaders that are leading organizations and teams. Where do you think we got off track? I mean, it's like we took something that was a great, simple playbook and we made it so complicated. Where do you think that happened and how do you think that happened? Um, I I think some of it was well-intentioned. I think some of it probably wasn't. Um, I think probably um, a couple of things come to mind. I think probably when, oh, I mean, maybe a half generation or generation before you and I started ministry, people almost came pre-evangelized. Mm, mm. That makes sense? Yep. So we had a culture that w- that had kind of a, a, a had certain Christian cultural sub-themes. And basically, <clears throat> like if you remember the old Ingalls scale, there was a scale that a guy named Ingalls had. Uh, he, was a, he was a professor at Wheaton. And basically, it was a scale that would, could measure how close and how far people were from saying yes to Jesus. And he actually had numbers on it. And I think let's just let's just say the scale went from if 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 zero is saying yes to Jesus and ten was way out here. I mean, I think a lot of the folks back in the day were just kind of at about a one or a two, and basically they just they didn't they needed someone just to explain grace to them and how easy it was and and then to cross the line. And so I think there was a I think that was so it was different. I think we now even in North America are now at a place where you know, what was 30 years ago was primarily in Europe or Australia. We're, I think we're now in a, in a post-Christian era. Yeah. And I think in a post-Christian people don't come with the same assumptions, same fundamental beliefs. And so it's not just enough just to kind of like um, tell your story and go like, oh, that's what I need. 
So what we do with the blessed practices is really if in that Ingle scale, if, if most folks are starting at instead of one or two, they're starting it on a scale of one to 10, you know, seven or eight. What we say is, no, you begin with prayer. Mm-hmm. That's the B. Then you listen to them. You get to know their story. You eat with them. And these are all based on things that Jesus did. That's the E, eat. Then if you do those three things, you pray for people, you listen to them, you eat with them. They'll tell you how to love them. And then you serve them. And then you tell your story. And -hmm. I think what we did is we just kind of like, we learned our testimony. We told our testimony. And that was in sales terms, we kind of closed the deal. And we baptize them if that was part of your tradition. And I I don't think people come pre-evangelized anymore. And I think that was probably the part that was well-intentioned. So we kind of kept using the same methodology that worked then on a good per number of people that doesn't work now. I think the other thing that happened too, is I think some of us got our identity by being good, you know, effective evangelists. Mm. And so, well, I think the priority for Jesus was loving people. I think for us, our priority, we even talk about it, you know, back in the day, winning souls or saving yep. people. And, um, and I think Christians ought to specialize in loving people. And if we love them well, they're going to see God's love and a whole bunch of them are going to say yes to Jesus. And so in some ways, I think what happened is, you know, the Holy Spirit, it's his job to convert people. That's mm-hmm. not my job. My job is to love people. And given the opportunity, I do those things. I pray for them. I listen to them. I eat with them. I serve them. And I share my story. And I let the Holy Spirit do his job. And I think we get in trouble when we try to do the Holy Spirit's job. That's fantastic. That that was worth its weight in gold right there because I think you nailed it. And and we've taken, I think I tell guys this all the time. I think we're gonna get to heaven one day and Jesus is gonna go, man, you guys, you really, you really made this hard. I didn't intend for you to make it hard. Why why did you overcomplicate it? Because it really is simple. And so I want to grab two of those practices because we won't hear sure. all of them today. Everybody needs to, we'll have a link in our show notes to the book and but I want to take two of them, listen and eat. So yeah. I want to take those two things. What is the power to you, Dave, in when somebody truly listens? Not, hey, how you doing? But you know they're listening to care. What's the power of that? And why does that move the heart meter in people's lives? I think listening may be the greatest expression of love that one human can offer another. And um, I mean, Barna, this is a couple of years ago. They they did the homework on this, and and they and they and what they found is one of the things that people said that what they want in someone with whom they'll have a spiritual conversation is they want someone who will genuinely listen to them. That's right. And actually, they actually said it this way: they said that they want someone who will listen without judgment. Mm. And so I think that means that we have to enter into these relationships, enter into these friendships. Um, yeah, given the opportunity, we do want to introduce them to Jesus, but we're in it because we're going to be their friend no matter what. And we're going to love them. I mean, that's why, I mean, Jesus, I mean, think about the rich young ruler too. I mean, yep. the rich young ruler, I mean, he, he said he gave him the opportunity, but he also let him walk away. And, and I think we, we have to be in it with the people the same way. We love them no matter what, but we're also willing to let them walk away. And so we, do, we, we deal with those folks the same way that God dealt with us, deals with us. Mm-hmm. So anyway, back to the listen part. Is, yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly what unchurched, non-Christian people want. Who am I talking about? That's what everybody wants. That's right. That's right. That's good. 
Yeah. What's the, what's the danger of it? So you become a leader, somebody picks up this book and they're like, all right, I'm in the marketplace or I'm, I'm at a, at a school and yep. I want to be a blessed leader. I want to, I want to love my neighbors. I want to change the world. When you enter into this and you've been doing it a long time now, and you really begin to listen, there's a, there's a burden quote unquote, that comes with that. What are some things people need to know as leaders when you become this type of leader? What's something they need to be aware of that you've learned? Well, and and I would say, okay, this this is a little bit different because I'm really talking about this um, at a friendship level more okay. than even a leadership level. Good. And so, at, I mean, I think there's a different reason you listen as a leader, but I mean, at a friendship level, you're, there's, you're, there's a different listening or a different kind of listening. Um, and I think one of the things we have to do too maybe as a leader who's a friend who listens yep. is you need to pick your primary context. Um, because I don't think this is kind of a shotgun thing that you can do. Oh, I do. I listen. I'll, I'll. So I'm trying to be intentional, particularly like in my neighborhood. Um, so here's, this is my journal. This, and uh, you can see here in the bottom here on my journal, I, just, I write the word blast. One of the last things I do and then I got eight folks that I'm praying for. Begin with prayer. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, at this season of my life, I'm trying to make my primary context my neighborhood. That's good. And these are the people that I'm praying for, and, the, and there's eight of them that, I, that I'm focused on. Um, I would say probably a few years ago, uh, my primary context might have been um, some of my relationships through my kids' sports teams. Because mm -hmm. we, we spent so much time together, and we'd travel together, and you know, we had so much in, in, uh, an affinity about both yep. the love for our kids and the love for that sport. And so those were people that were my, my primary context. So I think for a leader, you know, we kind of like everything to be up and to the right, we want to grow, want it to be yeah. big. Yeah. I don't think you can just listen. You can't listen to everybody. And it really going to, uh, I think, help show them God's love. There needs to be a kind of a primary context that you're focused on. I, I totally agree with that. And I'm glad you brought that out because Jesus's command to love God with all we got and love our neighbors ourselves is meant for everybody. Whether you're the CEO or whether you are the custodian, we all have neighbors and we've yeah. all got people and the power of listening. So, and I would love to hear you and I didn't put this in our list, but what's changed about you when you really began to listen, when you took the time for those neighbors, those eight, especially mm -hmm. when you began to listen, what changed about you? as a person, as a Christ follower, when you began to truly listen behind the front line of what they said to maybe what they're not saying yet. Yeah. You're, you're good at this, Mike. <laughs> um, I hope this is true. I, I, I think I, I think I, I think I became a more empathetic person. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about a friend of mine. This is, this goes back a couple of years now who um, named Michael, who, yeah, I mean, I prayed for for three years. And I think at first blush, you would have thought Michael, I mean, was just a little bit of a cocky kind of arrogant son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but both our boys ran cross country and track, and we'd hang out. But if you, but as you listen to him, in between things where he'd sometimes use bigger words than he needed to, 
um, you could tell there even even he and he was successful. Started his own company, president of his company. You could tell there was there was some pain there. And I think in listening, I think I was able, I, I was listening for listening more for kind of for, for that hurt. And I think in, in, in doing so, I think that helped. I think that, I think those are things that changed me. And I think consequently changed our relationship. And then ultimately, and it's, it's a remarkable story, uh, changed him. That's fantastic. And I love, I love what you said there because coming out of that world, raising kids, you know, that, that season of neighbor changes as we, as we grow as parents, you know, sometimes it's the PTA at school, sometimes it's the classroom sometimes, but those sports teams, travel teams, that's your life. Those are your vacations. Those are, and it's so interesting that you were, what I love about it was how intentional you were, where it could have been, you wasted all those years and look back and go, man, I had, I had everything right at my fingertips but you chose to bless while you were there by listening. But the other interesting part you brought out, and I've only heard one other leader really talk about this is how you talked about the power of breaking bread together, the power of eating together and how biblical it really is. What, what intimacy happens with a neighbor quote unquote, yeah. when qualified what happens with a neighbor when you sit over a meal together i i think i think a meal i think food is the thing that moves a relationship from an acquaintance to a friendship mm. um do you remember your first day i'm gonna take a risk i don't know about this mike do you remember you're married right yes you, do you remember uh you got remember your first date with your wife absolutely like yesterday Okay, I don't. I don't have any idea. Let's let's see where this goes. And what what did you guys do? We went. We went to a restaurant in Lynchburg, Virginia, called TC Trotters. Yep. <laughs> and there was probably something that happened on that date, and probably was part of your hope and intention. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely my hope and intention, not hers, but definitely mine. <laughs> that moved that relationship. That's right. From an acquaintance to a friendship. Yep. And. Um, and food, food does that. Um, I remember, yeah, I remember the, the first date with Sue. My, it was in the South suburbs of Chicago to Relio's Pizza. Uh, and I mean, and it did, there was something that happened there that I'm going like, I mean, I knew she was really good looking, but it was kind of like, I think moved into like, Hey, I think we're becoming friends. This thing might have possibilities. And I think what we really have, and I, kind of give people a behind a peek behind the curtain what these blessed practices are if you pray for somebody you listen for somebody you eat with them you serve them you share your story this is like a remedial course in how to be a friend <laughs> it really is i mean those are the things you do with friends and i mean it's not wasted jesus was called a friend of sinners that's who jesus was he was a friend of sinners that's what we're called to be and i think i think there's there's just there's great stuff that just happens around meals um I'm thinking about a little different, but we'll drag this one into the, into the conversation. Um, a conversation I had with Sam Stevens. Sam's a, is the uh, the president of the India Gospel League, and uh, over the last probably he's the most prolific church planner that I know on the planet. Uh, over the last probably like oh, 45, 50 years, they've planted uh, over a hundred thousand churches. Good night. And one of the things that and they have small networks of pastors that meet together 
And basically that in those networks, they do three things. They set goals together. They also get added value training. But the one thing that they do is they eat together. And that eat and eating together creates friendship. And that friendship creates community. And that community around a cause creates a force like I've never, like I've never seen before of, of church planning. And, and there's, um, there's, there's just, there's something, I mean, I think about Jesus at Zacchaeus. I mean, That's right. it, it took that relationship from an acquaintance, you know, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house today. So they're at that point, they're barely acquaintances and they come out on the other end after that meal. And I mean, that guy has changed forever. Hmm. And, um, I mean, one of the people I'm praying for is, 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 is my new neighbors. And, uh, and so we, we just had, we just had them over, uh, three weeks ago, uh, two or three weeks ago, you know, for dinner. And I, that was the first time, first time we've had them in our house for a meal. And, you know, there's lots of things I know about, you know, Ray and Nikki now that I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it also, you know, when I noticed, they weren't they weren't around for for about a week or so. It gave me kind of permission to text them, go, "Hey, you guys okay? I'm just checking in. I'm not being nosy. I want to make sure, you know." And it moved it kind of from acquaintance to friendship, mm. and um, and I think that's I think that's what food does. What I love in the book is you even, it was like dating advice. You know, here's some, here's some questions like speed dating. Here's some questions you can ask if you're not comfortable doing this. You know, you even think about heaven and you think about the, the, the marriage supper that we'll all partake of one day. I mean, it's interesting. Food is even, um, there, there's a great pastor in New Jersey who wrote a book on uh, leading with hospitality. Hospitality leadership's really, really good. And, uh, you know, there's a power in simplicity because all of it communicates, I care, I love and you are the most important thing to me. That's what I love. We were talking about a mutual friend, Brian Beloy, earlier. Yeah. Well, Brian and I would be friends because we're contemporaries, but we're really good friends because he and Amy and Ann and I double date together about once a month. That's why we're really good friends, right? So, you know, one day, one day you're going to get to heaven. You, you are going to close your eyes here on earth. And you're going to open your eyes to the place you've seen and you've heard about and you've preached about and sung about. And God's scorecard probably looks a lot different than our scorecard. Here you are leading a massive church in Chicago, uh, tons of campuses, exponential network, uh, the new thing network. What do you want the Lord to be most proud of about how Dave Ferguson lived out his purpose while he was here. What would you say? Well, it'd probably go full circle back to where we started the conversation. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if in that moment, in some way, you know, Jesus was to say, yeah, you, you did a really good job loving Sue. And, and if he was to say, I am really proud of how you love those kids. Um, that, that would be a good day. And then if, if it did expand the circle beyond that, and I, I'm, I, I just want you to know, I was, I was smiling when you, you were intentional about kind of trying to love, you know, the small number of people that are closer to you and, and share, share the good news with them. 
it's fun. It is fun. I mean, because in some ways it's funny. Like it feels like in some ways, Mike. Like the okay. So like exponential is this. I mean, we'll have fifty five hundred liters down in Orlando. We got ten regionals that we do in all the major cities. We've started exponential Europe and exponential Australia. New thing network. We have, you know, three hundred eighty eight networks in forty countries around the world. You know, it almost feels like those are just. Um, just it's just kind of God's favor. I kind of I don't know. I'm not even like I I wanted it to happen, but I don't really. I kind of feel like it's they kind of like found me in some ways. Yeah. yeah. And it, uh, but I it, the 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 loving the kids and loving my wife and the friends that feels like that feels almost more the more intention certainly more important. But that's the part I've tried to be more intentional about. And yeah, if, if Jesus would say that 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 would be that'd be a good ending. So practical and so real. That's what I love about Dave Ferguson. I have been a fan of his for years from a distance, but I tell you what, after meeting him, man, I love the guy even more because he is out there on the front lines, helping us live out the mission calling of Jesus to love God with all we've got and to love our neighbors as ourselves at North star. We calling it, we call it live sent Dave Thank you for helping us learn to live sent in the world that God has put us in. Boy, I hope you've enjoyed today. If you did, please share it with a friend. Share it on your social media. Uh, Email it, the link to a friend. We would love to get as many people as we can learning that God's got a way for you to lead that they may not have known about before. Well, in our next episode, we get to sit down with Dr. Don Wilton. Don is also a pastor in Spartanburg, South Carolina, but Don had the unusual opportunity, but incredible opportunity to be in the pastor of Dr. Billy Graham. And he's written a book called Saturdays with Billy. And I tell you what, I've always loved what I've known about Dr. Graham, but hearing Don Wilton talk about him, you love him even more. It is going to be a good one. Well, thanks again for joining today. If you've never subscribed to the podcast, go and do that so you don't miss an episode. And know this, I can't wait to see you again here on the Lynchwood Leader Podcast in our next episode. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.